You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on Yeshua in the Torah, presented by Justin Hibbard. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to begin this morning um, looking at the story of Gideon and his calling to rescue Israel from the hand of the Midianites. We'll begin in verse 11 this morning. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Were all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us unto the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat from an ephah, a flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Last week, we began with a question, um, and this week, I want to begin with a question. Here is the question. Who visited Gideon? Was it the Lord, or was it an angel? Did you see the discrepancy in the passage? It began with the angel of the Lord, and then pretty soon, we were talking about the Lord said this, and the Lord said this, and then Gideon, and it talks about the angel of the Lord. So are we dealing here with the Lord or with the angel of the Lord? As a recap from last week, we talked about um, God's physical appearances in the Old Testament. We talked about a few of those. We looked at the story of, um, of Jacob and God wrestling with Jacob in Lego form, right? And he, and he cripples Jacob or at least touches his hip and makes him um, somewhat lame and then gives him a blessing. We also looked at the story of the three visitors with Abraham. And we noted that one of them was God. Two of them were the angels that went down to rescue, to rescue Lot and his family. But one of them was God in physical form, eating with Abraham, having his feet washed. And then, of course, the story of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 5 and 6, the commander of the Lord's host, uh, Lord of hosts who appears before Joshua. 
and then gives instruction on how to conquer Jericho, which we read about in the story of Rahab today. But in this case, all three of these were God, even though at some points they, they, they didn't recognize that it was the Lord. But Jacob says, I've seen the Lord face to face. Abraham has a conversation with God about saving, um, saving Sodom and Gomorrah, and God tells him that he's going to have a son. And in the case of Joshua, he gets instruction on how to conquer the city of Jericho. Well, this morning I want to look at Yeshua and the Torah, the messenger of God, the messenger of God. As we talk about this, let's start off with the word angel. When we look at the, the word angel and how it appears, the word angel comes from the Greek word, or is the Greek word, agalia. And it comes from another word, agalos, which means to give a message. So in this case, the word angel doesn't mean winged creature like we think about necessarily. The word angel simply means the one who brings the message, the messenger. So if you look, about, look at this in Luke chapter 2, and you read this a little bit differently, it comes across this way in Luke chapter 2, verse, two, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So you could look at it and substitute the word angel here for the word message, the messenger. But the messenger said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you a good message to you that will cause great joy for all the people. By the way, the word to bring a good message, that's where we get the word evangelism from. Evangelism, there's the word angel in there. So when we are evangelizing, we're bringing a good message. We are sort of like angels in a sense, not in the proper sense of a winged creature, but in a sense of being a messenger of the good news, of the angelic message, that God is alive, that he has come to save the world. And then there are these other passages where we, where we read about the angel of the Lord. Because in some cases, the word angel means, the word angel means, uh, or is used to talk about winged creatures. We read about them in the story of Jacob. Sometimes angels are referred to in specific classes like archangel, cherubim, seraphim. Uh, and, and, we re, and we know these are the angelic creatures that God created. In some cases, there's the, the phrase, the angel of the Lord, and it's only the phrase, the angel of the Lord, that's used. And in some cases, the angel of the Lord seems to be used interchangeably with the name of the Lord. Bringing questions in our mind is, who is here? Is it the angel? Is it an angel, a created being of God? Or is it God himself? Let's look at a few of these passages. Let's start with Genesis chapter 13. This is the story of Hagar where the Lord visits Hagar, or the angel of the Lord visits Hagar. But notice what happens. Notice this passage. And I've skipped around a couple of verses. I left out verse 8 and verse 12, but we'll get the gist here. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So here's the name that she gave. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So you can see the discrepancy here between the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God. Is it an angel, like we think of angels, or is it the Lord? Let's look at another famous passage, Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush with Moses. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the angel saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, I'm sorry, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So who is it speaking from within the flaming bush? Is it, is it an angel? Is it the Lord? We're just told the angel Lord with this, this change here between the angel of the Lord and the Lord. But in all of these passages where, where an angel appears on the scene or whether God appears on the scene, they all have something very similar that happens to them. First of all, there's this exchange of a name. They want to know who is this person that's here. Jacob, remember Jacob said, please tell me your name. He says, why do you want to know my name? Right? Uh, all, these, all these different passages. There's, there's another passage with Samson's parents um, where they're visited by the angel of the Lord. And they want to know, what is your name? We want to know who is this person that's visiting us. What do we make of this? There's also this connection with authority. So uh, the angel appears to, Gabriel appears to Mary and says, uh, peace be with you. You have found favor with God. In other words, this connection, I am coming from God with a message to you. I am the messenger from God. Joshua, when he came across the captain of the Lord of hosts, he said, he said are you for us or for our enemies? And remember what the captain said, I'm neither. I am the commander of the armies of God. And then the last thing that we see is there's always a purpose, a mission, a message that is relayed. For example, in Genesis 16, the message was that the Lord would return to Abraham at that time next year, and he would have a son, and that son would be Isaac. What's interesting about all of these passages is that they're very brief. The Lord or the angel of the Lord or an angel when they visit, it's brief, a few minutes, a few seconds, maybe even as much as a few hours. Probably the longest one that I can think we read of is the three, the three visitors with Abraham. Um, but they're always just very brief. So when you think of Jesus coming as a man, his incarnation, this is really significant because Jesus doesn't come for a few hours or a few days or a few years. He comes for 33 years. Now, you might think, well, 33 years isn't a long time, but in the context, in comparison to the minutes or the hours of previous visitations, it is a long time. And so it must be really, really significant. If you thought about it, this question, uh, what was Jesus' purpose? We know his name. We know his authority. What was his purpose? What was his message? If we could sum up his mission in a few words, in a statement or two, what would we find? What would we say? This was his purpose. It has to be important because he's here for a very long time without returning to heaven and coming back. He stays here on earth for 33 years. Well, let's turn with our, in our Bibles to John chapter 10. And I'm going to look at two moments in Jesus' ministry, among probably we could gather many, where Jesus makes this, these bold statements about his purpose and about who he is. Here's what we read in John chapter 10. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, 
walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Well, Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah, right? It's winter. That makes sense to us. Hanukkah is celebrated in the winter. And all of a sudden, there's this pressure. And it seems kind of weird that there's this pressure. It seems like very sudden. The pressure, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And you think, where did this come from? Well, to understand this story, and if you've read my Facebook post last night, you, and, um, you probably saw this, but to understand this story, we have to look back in history. And we have to look back in a time when Greece ruled the world. And Greece conquered much of the world thanks to this guy, Alexander the Great. He was a great conqueror, right? He came and he, and he conquered from, from Greece all the way to India, as far south as parts of Africa. I mean, a lot of the world, including Judea, Israel was captured and given to the Greek, the Greeks. Well, when the Greeks ca- captured places, they did not capture it and just destroy all the people. What they did was they tried to influence, to bring about their culture, enlighten people with their way of life. It's sort of, if you think about it, it's sort of like the, what we do in the wars of Afghanistan and Iraq. We've, we've conquered, right, in a sense. We've taken out the leadership, but then we've tried to instill this idea of democracy to them. But in the Greek way of life, it was much more than that. They wanted them to know the philosophers, the great, the great Greek philosophers like Aristotle, to speak the Greek language and understand the nuances of the Greek language and eat the delicious Greek food like the gyros, right? <laughs> That's right. I obviously don't speak the Greek language. <laughs> to understand kind of what the Greeks were accomplishing, their model citizen. I think it would help to watch this clip. <laughs> well, from the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and the whole movie, that's what he says, right? He says, show me a word, any word, and I'll tell you how it's related to the Greek, right? Well, that was, um, that was the Greek way of life, the pride, and, and, and the process of, of showing, of in, um, enculturating people was the process called Hellenization. Hellenization. And they took it to a, a whole new level. And different people ruled as the Greek Empire grew or shrunk. Different people ruled certain areas. And there came along a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, and some of the rulers were okay, manageable, but he was ruthless. He hated the Jewish people. How do I depict this? There we go, right? He hated the Jewish people. He hated them in a terrible way. I mean, in all seriousness, he was as cruel as cruel can be to them. He forced them to eat unclean meat. He forced them to worship false gods. He forced them to eat unclean food, to adopt the way of the Greek life with force. And if they didn't, he would kill them. And in one brash, terrible moment, Antiochus goes into the temple, and he desecrates it. He defiles it. He throws pig's blood all over it. He goes to the bathroom in it. He sets up idols in it. He does all the awfulest things that you can imagine to the most sacred place in all of Israel, in all of Jewish history. And, and um, in response, finally, the Jewish people had enough. And there came a man named Judas Maccabees. And he led a movement, a revolt, to take back Israel, to, to, take, to defeat the Greek oppression. And that's the story of Hanukkah. And, of course, the Maccabean revolt was successful, 
And by a miracle, they defeated the Greeks, even though they were greatly outnumbered, even though the Greeks had far superior weaponry and technology. Maccabees, Judas Maccabees, and the Maccabean revolt was successful. And then what they had to do was they had to rebuild the temple, or not rebuild it, but at least clean it up, and to take it back. And what they found there was just awful. It was disgraceful. A pig had been slaughtered on the altar. A pig is the most uh, profane animal, unclean animal to the Jewish people. And so they wondered, you know, what do we do with this altar? Do we burn the stones? Do we, um, but if we do that, I mean, are we defiling the temple? Do we wash the stones off? But what if they're still unclean? And so what they decided to do was they decided to take the stones of the altar and put them in a safe place. And they said, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us what to do with these stones. So fast forward to John chapter 10. Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication, a Feast of Hanukkah in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees are there. They know the law. They know the traditions of Judaism. They understand the story of Hanukkah very well. They understand why they're there. And suddenly they begin asking the question, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Let's return to that story. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But, the G- but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Again, look at the exchange we have. The asking of a name. Who are you? Jesus said, tell us plainly, the Pharisees said to Jesus, are you the Messiah? Jesus tells him them his authority. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. I and the Father are one. The purpose of Jesus' statement here, I and the Father are one, is to tell us that the Messiah is God himself. You know, in, in all the passages that we read in the Old Testament, when the individual saw the angel or saw the Lord, they all were just, they just turned white. They turned white because Usually that symbolized that they were going to die. Alas, Gideon says, I've seen the angel Lord face to face. And that's when the Lord says, peace, nothing's going to happen to you. Jacob said, I'll call this place Peniel, for I've seen the face of God and yet have lived. If they knew who who was standing in front of them, they might have a similar expression. It's kind of like when Jesus is with the woman at the well in Samaria and says, if you knew who is asking you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you living water. Out of all the purpose statements that I think Jesus gives, there is one that really speaks out in a story in Luke chapter 4, a moment of Jesus' ministry that's so ironic and so beautiful. And to set up this story, um, Jesus is going to speak in the synagogue in Capernaum. And to understand kind of the context of this, when uh, the Jewish people had a liturgical calendar, a liturgy, 
much like high churches. If you're familiar with an Orthodox church or a Catholic church, an Anglican church, Episcopalian church, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, generally you're reading the same passages, you're hearing the same readings, and maybe just a slightly different homily, a message that has to do with the various readings. And way before, ahead of time, the priest will ask members of the congregation to participate in the reading. And so in a Catholic church, you have the reading of the Old Testament, the reading, uh, or the reading of the New Testament, the reading of the Gospel. And, um, and these are set way ahead of time. Well, the same is true in, in the synagogue. And so Jesus' name is listed there as the name to be the reader on that particular day. And he's given the passage, Isaiah 61. Let's take a look at what this might have looked like. So Jesus gets up, he reads the appointed passage in in Isaiah chapter 61. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news, to be the malak, the messenger of God, right? To, To preach healing for the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And then in an astonishing moment, which just causes all sorts of friction between him and the Pharisees, the leadership there in the synagogue, he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Last week, um, we talked about what we often do with Jesus. Sometimes what we do is we take the real Jesus and we um, substitute him with something that more that we identify with. We'll cut out certain theology. Well, oftentimes, what can happen with Jesus is we we cut out some of the message. So when the Pharisees are confronting with Jesus, you know, Jesus oftentimes doesn't use the word Messiah with them. He doesn't, he doesn't engage with that. And sometimes it can drive us nuts. Why don't you just tell them, Jesus, that you're the Messiah? Let's solve this once and for all. Well, the reason is because they had a, that was a loaded term for them. The word Messiah, they had, they had um, twisted around all sorts of traditions so that it meant the person who was going to free them from Rome and set up a physical kingdom there on earth to solve the Jewish people's problems once and for all and bring peace forever. He was going to be the one who tells them what to do with the altar stones. But Jesus says so much more than that. He says, I'm not just a man. I am God. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He goes on more and more because His idea for what the Messiah is, the message and the purpose of the Messiah, and who he is and his authority is so much greater than anyone could have ever imagined. So he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is his mission statement. To proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. In Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. These are Jesus' mission statement. This is why he spent 33 years here on earth. You know, I don't think... um, I personally don't believe that Jesus has physically returned back to earth since his ascension following his resurrection. And the reason why I don't think that is because um, he says, you will not see me again until all of Jerusalem says, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, you will not eat or drink of the fruit of the vine with me again 
until we drink it anew in heaven. It says that you will see the Son of Man coming on clouds with great power and might. So what does that mean? That means that that 33 years opened up a door, a door until it's closed, a door of repentance and a door of freedom. This was Messiah's mission. It still is his mission, still is his purpose today, to bring about freedom, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And the Pharisees rejected Jesus. They, they tried to stone him in this passage here in Luke chapter 4 after the reading because they didn't want to hear it. They had their own ideas of the Messiah. They traded the real Messiah for the Messiah that they had imagined in their mind. And when Abraham, when he, when he said, um, when God says, you're going to be the father of many nations, and Abraham and Sarah get old, they think, you know what? Maybe God isn't really listening or paying attention here. Maybe I need to take things in my own hands. And they traded the promise of God for something that they could do themselves. We don't ever do that, do we? And sometimes when we, and you could think about a number of situations, when we trade all that Messiah wants for our life for something shorter than that, something lesser than that, we're trading a message. When we sin, we're, we're, we're trading the promise and the faithfulness of God, the power of God, for something that we think that we can, that we can accomplish ourselves. When we sin, it's not a behavior problem. It's a relationship problem. We, we're not trusting God. We're not, we're not, we don't have that faith in the Lord that he's going to come through, that he knows what's best for us. And so this morning, I, I want to just, when we talk about the messenger of God, just understand that Jesus is... He is the Malik. He is the, he, is the, he is the messenger of the God, the Agalia. He has come to bring the good news. He's come to preach the brokenhearted and set us free from the sin that easily entangles us, from the, from the world that just captures our heart, from Satan who hijacks our minds. Jesus is the one who sets us free. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.